I'm Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of Capital Coffee Connection. And our podcast is really meant to meet with amazing elected leaders, but not to talk about politics or policy, mm. but to really talk about the humanity, the heart, the home, and to give people in our country an opportunity to really get to know who their elected leaders are. So many times pe people think that they're just a politician. Um, and I've had the opportunity to get to know many politicians. I'm not a politician, I'm not a journalist, but I have gotten to know these folks for being really incredible people. So I hope that this podcast will give everybody an opportunity to get to know um, these amazing folks. And I'll, I'll just say that if you study the human genome, it says basically with our DNA that we are all 99.6% the same. So there's like a 0.4% difference in our DNA. And I guess what I would like to figure out through this process is, what is that 0.4% that makes us different? Eight billion people, what makes them a bit different? But also how do we come together and instead of not enjoying our ch each other, come to celebrate our differences and come to understand that we're kind of all in this together. So I'll start as an introduction of my great guest. Um, back in April, I was in Arizona and I decided to, cr to go up and hike Camelback Mountain. Mm -hmm. And I thought, eh, it's only a mile and a little bit, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. And it, it's, it's only a mile and a quarter, but it basically goes up, um, what is it, 1,280 yeah. degrees, uh, feet, and it's really intense. It's rugged, there's big boulders, small boulders. And as I was going up the hill, I, crawling half the time, I was, I was swearing and I thought I was gonna die, but I wasn't gonna give up. And that will give you a little indication of who I'm meeting with today, a person who doesn't give up. And I decided I was going to make it because I wanted to get to the top uh -huh. and see the 360 view of Arizona, of Phoenix, Arizona. And I did make it. And um, so I was really proud of myself. And then afterwards, I saw um, our guest, Ruben Gallego, uh, who is a uh, congressperson from Arizona and is running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. And I saw him and I was bragging about my accomplishment so proud of myself and he goes yeah me and my son we do that all the time those hikes <laughs> and I was like how old is your son six years old so in all fairness I introduce my guest today who I think is an amazing human being uh, who humbled me at that moment greatly <laughs> Sorry. Um, and uh, you know we're not going to talk about politics but I do want to mention that you are a candidate for the US Senate you, in Arizona yeah. And you've been a wonderful congressperson and a local leader in Arizona for a lot of years, even though you're young. Um, but today we're going to have coffee. We're both having a oatmeal cappuccino. Oh, cafecito, yeah. Cafecito. Yeah. So Salud. welcome. Thank you. And thank you. Um, we're going to go back to the beginning of Reuben time. Okay. And the first thing I want to talk about is you grew up on the south side of Chicago. I did, yeah. You grew up in a family uh, with parents who are immigrants. Uh -huh. And I think a lot of people kind of know that. And I also understand that you spent time in Chihuahua, Mexico, mm -hmm. and you worked there as a young person on your family's farm. Mm -hmm. Having said all that, and people can read that, can you talk a little bit about what it felt like to be a young kid and having those two very different experiences and at the same time being in one country an immigrant and one country perhaps a native, yeah. but having those balances, because as a young person it had to help formulate who you are. Well, it's actually interesting. I was never really um, accepted in either spot, especially as a young man. When I was in Mexico, 
Mexicans considered me uh, an American. They called me Weddle. Uh, and I would get teased and I had to get in fights, you know. Uh, they even had this uh, uh, saying, for, especially if you have any Spanish, because it's like uh, when they, they're teasing me, called, it's called Weddle Wedinchi Pata la Chinchi. It's like, you know, kick the Weddle in the butt, basically. So I got a lot of scraps as a, as a, as a boy. Uh, and then when I got back to the United States, because um, I spoke English first as my, uh, sorry, I spoke Spanish as my first language, I was considered Mexican by many of the, uh, you know, the American boys. So, you know, it's interesting. I think my, one of the things that was really helpful about that is that, um, I think that made me who I am is that I had to learn how to adapt very yeah. quickly to different scenarios uh, and to, you know, different standards, you know, going from, you know, living in Mexico to living on the south side of Chicago to speaking Spanish, speaking English, um, you know, different cultures. And, um, uh, you know, at first always being kind of an antagonistic situation where people just consider me an outsider. I uh, had to learn how to make friends uh, and uh, in order just basically so I wouldn't get picked on. Yeah, yeah. And your mom. Yeah. So your mom pretty much raised you and three yeah. sisters. That's right, yeah. And um, and it, and she had to work hard yeah. because she also had to make a living to afford Absolutely, for yeah. everything. So talk a little bit about what kind of a mom you had and when you think back, like really what an incredible person she was. Yeah to make that sacrifice and all that hard work because you're a U.S. congressperson. Yeah. And and that didn't just happen because of um, sure. nature. There was a lot of nurturing. Well, and she's ha she also has three very successful daughters yeah. also. Um, you know, it, it is uh, – she's 4'11", uh, <laughs> but probably like six feet in, in actual strength and uh, determination. Yeah. Um, you know, once my father, uh, you know, jumped out of the, the picture – you know, it was she had to raise us uh, on her own, and and financially, that was extremely difficult. Um, you know, statistically speaking, my sisters and I, you know, should have fallen along the trajectory of a lot of other people when you come from houses like that. You know, she decided to work hard. She moved us out to the suburbs, found us a um, affordable uh, apartment to make sure we could go to a good public school, uh, a safe public school. Um, it was it was a small place. Uh, I slept in the living room. Um, my sisters had their rooms, and my other sister slept with my mom. And it was small, but it was it was we were together. Yeah. And um, you know, I think her, for her it was difficult. I know I I, I could hear her crying every night, um, just out of the pressure of this. Yeah. But she realized that um, what best she could do is role model for us uh, and and push us and believe in us. And, um, you know, she wasn't at my baseball games, at my extra, uh, extracurricular activities because she just couldn't. Yeah, she had to and, work. And she had to work. Um, but knew, I always knew that she cared and she believed in me. And, um, you know, when I was uh, determined to go to college, uh, I, you know, had in my mind that, and I knew that no matter what, I was going to have to get a scholarship. Uh, and I determined that I, I needed to go to, you know, one of the Ivies, specifically Harvard. Uh, I told her that I, that's what I was. My goal was going to be, and she didn't try to stop me. She didn't try to dissuade me. She didn't try to tell me like that's a very hard goal. Right. You know, she and she she didn't understand the process even for that because she hadn't gone uh, to college yet. Um, but she believed in me, and she, uh, you know, backed me every step of the way. I mean, yeah. even when, you know, there's, you know, silly things. When I got into my freshman year of high school. They try to put me in remedial English instead of English honors. And, you know, me being extra anal, I knew I had to take English honors from freshman year 
in order to get for, to the college to get to the colleges I want. And um, I don't know exactly what the reasoning was, but for some reason I didn't hit the requirement. And um, you know, I knew that there was a, a rule in Illinois state law. So I went to state law that if you're unless your son or daughter was uh, learning disabled, you can take any class you right. want as long as the parent agreed to it. And so I brought my mom in to the meeting with the counselor and. She said, whatever my son wants, you, you put him in that class. And I got put into that class. And, you know, it was it seems like not a big deal. But had I not done that, I would not have been able to take my yeah. English honors classes, which got me to English AP, which, you know, kept me on track to, to be even eligible to apply for these kind of Ivies. So having someone who believes uh, in you, even though they may not understand it, really, really matters. It's beautiful. No, it's beautiful because that's powerful to also come from a place where you don't even know the system. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so did your mom have like one sentence or something she would give you and say like what you, like a piece of advice that she would say in Spanish that you would understand meant that you had to go and do your thing? Oh boy. I got <laughs> Made more than one. I got to a lot of things in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not a swear, not a yeah, version yeah, that's, yeah. you know. Look, my my mom while was very strict in the sense that, you know, we weren't um, you know, you know, uh, you know, we had curfews yeah, and yeah. everything else like that. No swearing in the house, showing respect for adults. Um, also, at, you know, at one point, I think, like, you know, when I started getting um, into high school and started going my own career, like focusing on my own trigger career, she made it very clear, like, you're you're in charge of you now. Mm. You, you know, your future is in your hands. And yeah. what you want to happen is going to happen because of you. I can't, I can't help you much any more than this. I believe in you, but if you want to, you know, not be a great student that's your that's, that's your call their responsibility and it's not because it wasn't from a place of love but you know at some point and I, I understand this more now as a parent that you could only do so much for your kids especially when she also had three other kids Absolutely. that she had to worry about yeah. and um, you know I think she was the fact that she gave me agency uh, was very uh, important the fact that I learned that I had to be self-reliant um, and not all the time. Like, uh, you know, she was there when I needed her uh, at, at points, like emotionally and other places. But I was largely self-reliant, you know, to do a lot of things on my own and figure out things on my own. Uh, and she made it an emphasis to, to, to know that, you know, I, I love you, son, but this is all about where you want to go now. Exactly. Talk a little bit about, because obviously you worked during high school, college, yeah. and you had, again, just kind of tell us kind of the jobs you had because I am sure you had jobs that other people out there can totally relate to uh -huh. and think sometimes, I can't believe I had to do that, but they build up to who you are today. Yeah, look, I wanted to contribute to my family and I wanted to um, also, you know, make sure I had money to do anything or save for anything. And so I worked as a janitor um, at uh, a pool place. I worked as a line cook uh, at like a, a hot dog beef stand. I worked as a at a pizza place still still around Barocco's Pizzeria. If you guys want to go check it out, Evergreen Park, Illinois, lots of other places too. Uh, working on the on the the pizza line, on the phone line. Um, I worked a uh, you know side gigs as a laborer with uh, uncles. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, sometimes carpentry work also. And then I worked uh, at a meatpacking factory. Um, the you know actually it was probably the best paying job. Uh, the, the the year before I went to college. And that was uh, the best, probably the most educational job in the world because it really showed you what hard work can do, working in an environment with a lot of other hardworking people, um, you know, some really crazy hours under some very dangerous situations. It really made me appreciate what I was 
going to be doing later on in life. Yeah, it's amazing how those skills, because at the end, while you are an elected leader, it's all about retail. It's all about talking to people yeah. and understanding what their needs are and empathizing so that when you do the work you do, you actually understand what it means to be the recipient or what folks are going through. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is like receiving that paycheck was really cool. Yeah. And seeing it go into my bank account and then seeing it support, you know, helping my family a little, you know, like paying a utility bill here and there. Um, but knowing that that was my sweat equity that got it. I remember yeah. the first, you know, paycheck I got um, working at the meatpacking factory because I, I did, uh, they offered me overtime. And for one, I was very lucky. They gave me nine bucks an hour. I got a dollar more than most, uh, than, than most of the meatpacking uh, workers that started at the same time because I spoke English. And um, and I remember when they when they came by and offered uh, overtime, and uh, that's when I, I uh, time and a half was first explained to me, and seeing that paycheck was crazy, crazy cool. Yeah. And uh, that money actually paid for my first year at uh, at Harvard because even though it got a, almost a full ride, they expected you to pay a portion. Absolutely. Uh, it's called the family contribution portion. And uh, there was no family contribution coming from my family. I understand. And uh, so the family contribution was whatever I could work. Yeah. And so it was great that, um, you know, my first year of Harvard was, was paid for by grinding, you know, hot dog meat up. You know? That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to jump forward because, you know how I talked about, like, your childhood was sort of split between two places? Mm -hmm. So your uh, – 20s, let's call it, was interestingly divided between... <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, I say that, I'm. by the way, I'll give you a plug for a book called They Called Us Lucky, which uh, Ruben wrote, and it's all about his time um, in the Marines, and a lot is based on what he did in Iraq, and I, we don't have time, we could sit here yeah. for hours, but I do recommend it if somebody really wants to get to know you, and also really to understand the day-by-day -day of what happened during those, those times. Yep. But I'm going to ask a general question because we have a lot to cover sure. in a short amount of time. How was that difference between being a Harvard student and then also finding yourself in Fallujah? Uh -huh. and, and, and the balance, because I, I think so much of what I read in your um, story in Iraq is a lot is the relationships with people. Right. So I, I know it's hard to ask you to do this shortly, but could you talk a little bit about that that dichotomy and how yeah. those relationships? Yeah, and, and just, just to make sure, because I know there's you know there's a lot of people that want to always double check and triple check. They say I was in Fallujah, I was in Al Ambar. Oh, sorry, yeah. Al Ambar. Yeah, and uh, because there's a very distinct yes. pride for those who serve in Fallujah, and there's for where I serve too, obviously. Um, I actually got along better in the Marines than I did in Harvard. I was more. I was more a Marine than I was a Harvard student. Mm -hmm. um, culturally, I got along better with the guys I served with than the students I went to school with. And they're both great people. And I still have great friendships on, on both sides. Um, but I always felt out of place at Harvard. I didn't feel out of place in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. uh, and in war, you form a bond, um, especially among the combat arms and among the infantry. You form a bond with these men that um, you can never really replace. Yeah. And I still talk to these guys. I mean, like it's like I talk to one, two, three, four, four to five guys. You know, probably like maybe four times a week, yeah. whether it's on the phone, texting, or you know, just gossiping. And then when we a bunch of us kind of check in on each other and. Um, you know, some of that's forged under very, very serious conditions. 
We did a lot of uh, hard work. We saw a lot, dealt with a lot. And um, it, it's something that I can never really describe to anybody that, unless they've actually felt it or done it themselves. Yeah. You live in Arizona. Mm -hmm. You have a beautiful wife. You have a six-year-old son. And now you have a newborn daughter. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's a lot to juggle yeah. and running for Senate and doing the work you have to do as a congressperson. How's it all going? And, and, and how do you also, I'd love to know, being a second-time parent, what the difference is. Look, I actually, you know, like I, I think it's going well. I mean, obviously, um, it's easier for the father than the mother. Yes. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, trying to be as helpful as possible. I operate on very little sleep as it is. So that's actually, I think, helpful to my to my wife uh, that I can wake up, you know, help nurse, uh, you know, bottle the baby, and then, and then go back to bed. Um, and then obviously, I still have the the campaign, and still, you know, have another son. Um, how's it going overall? I mean, I I'm a very I think lucky person in the sense that while I have, I grew up with a lot of pressure on me in terms of just having to juggle many things, it has made life easier for me in the sense that. When it comes to situations such as this, where I have to juggle everything, it doesn't it doesn't affect me as much. I just kind of put my, put my head down and kind of just keep going and uh, and and then you know figure out how to deal with it. What does it mean coming a second time around? Boy, this is gonna sound awful, but girls are totally different than boys. <laughs> and um, and it you know I I actually actively think about you know how I've been raising Michael and. I'm very proud of how I raised Michael, how Cindy raised Michael, how how my um, my co-parent Kate right. ha have raised Michael. Uh, you know, he's a very smart, independent, outgoing boy. Um, you know, uh, adventurous. And I think about that and thinking about Isla, and I'm like, well, I want that to be the case too. So I have to like, I'm actively thinking about how not to be this like overbearing father who uh, you know doesn't isn't trying to make a strong woman. And I, you know, I, uh, I find myself, you know, uh, cuddling her a lot uh, and loving her a lot. And it's, it's interesting, you know. And I did the same thing with Michael. And I'm like, am I going to be able to, to kind of raise them in the same way? But you never know. They're going to have different personalities, Absolutely. too. And, um, you know, I can't wait. You know, we're, we're so early right now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I can't wait for a couple months where you can start seeing that personality come through. I'm going to be very excited about that. Well, I am sure she's going to have a big personality, and she might help raise you. <laughs> you know, because that's what girls sometimes well, have the ability yeah. to do with their parents. I, had, I, you know, I'm very lucky. I got molded by four Latina women. Exactly. Uh, I, I think I, I could take a, a couple more uh, turns at being molded by uh, Sydney and Isla. Well, Sydney is a strong woman, mm -hmm. and you have a very strong wife. And I think like about how much time you are on the on the road and how much time you have to be out there. How, how do you, you obviously know what her life is like and how do you reckon like the amazing support she gives you to do the work you need to do. And she also has had a career. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if she wasn't, she's been busy, but she's always been able to support you and continues to. Yeah. And I think that's pretty remarkable. It's amazing. I mean, I, I think the one thing that we are able to do together is we recognize what is important and what is not. Right. And what, what is important is our relationship in uh, our relationship with our son and now our daughter. And that helps you decide what actually matters. Like, and sometimes I can't make events and I have to tell my staff, like, you know what? It's great, but I have to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with my family. Yeah. This is just isn't important enough. A good example was uh, President Biden was 
uh, coming to town recently, and he uh, wanted us to be at a bill signing ceremony at Grand Canyon uh, in the morning. But it's also the same morning that was my son's first day of school. And yeah. as much as I loved, I would love to 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 get up to see the president. Uh, you know, we couldn't make it happen. Now we found a compromise. I drove up er- earlier uh, the, the the day before, walked him to the tarmac, drove back, and made it home in time. Uh, to go to sleep and wake, take him up in school in the morning, but it felt right to do that, and, and it was right to do it because Mike only has one first day of school. Correct, correct. Yeah, and then sometimes you do have to sacrifice that time with your family, but you actually, you know, you know, Sydney and I actually think about it and talk about it, so we know what we're feeling, and yeah. we just don't, uh, you know, we don't have expectations that someone else that uh, she's just supposed to understand what I'm thinking or I'm supposed to understand what her thinking. Um, but a, a real grounding in you know family uh, is what matters the most. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's very interesting. So now we're going to get to the part where I just ask you some questions okay. so we get to know who you are and what you like. Um, what is your favorite meal? I mean, you could t- you could tell we can plug a restaurant, but in general, what is your favorite meal? Oof, so many. Um, you can give a few. Yeah, so I really lo- in terms of like seafood. Um, there's um, a, a, a plate Mexican soup called uh, sopa de siete mares. Siete mares. Yeah, so s- seafood of the seven, seven seas. seas. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, I love uh, Indian food. Yeah. Um, and uh, Greek food. And Greek food. Yeah. Interesting. You got you're all over the I am all, all over the map. All from very like yeah varied experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is your favorite music? Oh, that's a good question. You could do band style, but yeah, you know, I vary a lot. Like, I love Latin music. Um, you know, the con- you know your con- your traditional stuff. Also, some of like the like Ozo Motley, mm-hmm. um, and then you know Jay Balvin. Now I've recently started listening to Peso Pluma, uh, and um, um, and ba- you know Bad Bunny. I like Bad uh, um, Bunny too. Yeah. And then uh, you know I still you know have some like. Uh, you know, sitting on the dock of the bay by Otis Redding is yeah. my favorite song. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there is really no like genre or like like particular nice. one song that I like. Um, you know, trying to get a little into T Swift since everyone else seems to be doing that. I eventually get hopefully we'll see if I get hooked on that. But um, okay. you know, so far, uh, Peso Pluma seems to be the thing I'm, I'm listening to a lot more now. Okay, good. If you had time, if you don't have time, or maybe in the past, what was your favorite hobby? Just something you did that was just about what you enjoyed personally. Um, well, growing up was reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I read a lot now, but like for for personal enjoyment, I, w- I probably would do reading. Although growing up reading, I was like I, I read like history books. I don't know why. It <laughs> just what just so I guess like now it would just be more continuation of work. I actually used to do a lot of uh, models, like model cars, model airplanes. Models. Yeah, very cool. Um, and uh, which surprises me because I didn't realize I had that type of patience. But at some point, I guess I did yeah. uh, to do that. And uh, what I do love to do, though, now is when I have time is going uh, on hikes with my son, like I kind of yeah. told you. And I love teaching him, you know, stuff that I learned over my time in the Marine Corps and kind of growing up, um, you know, out in the country about, you know, environment, survival skills, things like that. Like Michael, for example, can always tell where North is by where the moss grows he knows That's how great. to he knows how to find water. It's yeah. all these kind of things that I, I really want to you know talk to him, uh, teach him about. And you know, he recently we were recently. I was we were like he loves shrimp, so I was making shrimp for him 
And he recently asked, like, he wants to go fishing. So I'm going to go – at some point, I'm going to go teach him how to fish. I love it. And uh, so th- that's a very – those are the kind of things that I – you know, and I, you know, it's not that I don't have time. I actually do find time to do it, and when I can, I really enjoy doing it with him. Right. And it's also, like, the beauty of being able to share the hobbies with your son mm-hmm. at this point and mm-hmm. eventually with your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite household chore? I hate household chores. I just really do. <laughs> okay, that's a fair enough answer. I mean, We're like, going to move on. Yeah, you don't have I mean, to qualify okay, it. Okay, is a chore, is it, I mean, not that I don't, I don't enjoy doing it, but like I like the finality of it, paying all my bills, so making sure there's nothing outstanding or anything right. else like that. And like, that's a chore. That's a chore, right? Yeah, so yeah. like, so like I like making sure that that's all taken care of because like, it freaks me out if I think that I have like didn't pay a bill not or something paid. like that. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Um, Worst advice you ever received, best advice you've ever received, and it can be from anywhere, anybody. I once uh, was once told uh, that I need to humble myself, mm. and right before I went to college, and it was the stupidest advice ever because I was going against a lot of people that we're not, humble. we're not, and they were <laughs> they they were promoting themselves, and the thing that happened is that I I needed to realize that uh, I think the the person that gave me this advice. And I went back and told him, like, that's a horrible advice to give a young Latino man, by the way. Um, and, he, and, you know, he apologized. And, uh, you know, I think he was trying – what he was trying to do was to make sure that I, I stayed grounded. Yeah, right? I understand. And you can stay grounded but also at the same time be able to promote yourself. Um, and so when you're competing in an environment like Harvard where, you know, people really do promote themselves. People really advocate for themselves. And I did not do that for a long time. And – if you grow up in kind of immigrant communities, especially Latino immigrant communities, uh, too often you actually are told to already humble yourself. Yes. So then when you get into these environments where there aren't many other people like you, you start dealing with imposter syndrome. Yes. You start dealing with other different types of conflicts. So you really need to be uh, able to believe in yourself and push yourself because a lot of times people won't do it for you. I understand. And um, that was really, really bad advice. And, uh, you know, it, it- Good advice? It, that was bad advice. No, but did you get some good advice? I mean, I think the the best. <laughs> I mean, the best advice I ever got was from the Marine Corps, which is you know kind of, you know, it was literal then, but I kind of bring to to real life. Like anything worth shooting once is worth shooting twice. Okay. And um, and that's really in reference to like when you're you know you're moving around. You know what you had to. Yeah. If you're gonna do it, do it well. Well, in real life, obviously, you know, I don't have to shoot that often. Um, whatever I'm gonna do, like double down on it, yeah. right? And uh, that really, really matters, yeah. you know. And um, it certainly has helped me in terms of making decisions. When I make decisions, I tend to be very quick and decisive, um, and um, and and full of energy because I think that's how, you know, you you create momentum. That's how you have, yeah. you know, create a wake, and you also get people to believe in you that you're actually moving in the right direction, and they want to follow you there. Yeah, I, you know, there was a famous quote by the. Um, very famous uh, football coach, Vince Lombardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lombardo, And it, it said, winners never quit and quitters never win. Yeah. And, and that kind of reminds me a little bit of you in terms of like your personality and that you just keep going. And if you quit, then you can't win. You can't get to the other mm-hmm. side. Um, so that kind of fits you, doesn't it? I, I guess I don't really understand uh, the idea of not trying. If I had been scared of challenges my whole life. I don't know where I would have been. And I had not taken risks. I mean, I think I would have been, you know, still on the south side of Chicago 
you know, working a job and supporting my family, which is still honorable, but I had to believe in myself first before anyone else could believe in me. I had to believe I could go to college. I believe I could be in the Marine Corps. I believe I could uh, be a member of Congress. Uh, and I had to take that, that the risk of, of failure too. Um, but we learn from failure. Sometimes the failure sure. is actually what catapults us forward. Sure, but the, the, the biggest risk is not taking that first move. Right. Uh, and a lot of times I've seen a lot of friends, a lot of people my age get so scared of taking that first move that they can never even think about the next thing. Yeah. And it just, it just you know, gives them paralysis yeah. to the point where they, they end up creating a, a defeating situation that they don't end up, um, you know, don't, don't end up doing anything. Yeah. And uh, I, just have n I just never had that luxury no. at all. I had to always either try to succeed or, or there was no other option, really. No. And I, I hope that people that are listening, especially, I'll say it, young people, um, Latino folks, see that there is so much possibility. Absolutely. And yeah. that it's really just a matter of like doing those moves and taking those chances and accepting that, one, it's hard, but two, you could maybe not be successful the first time out, but you have to keep going. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, then you know what the answer is. Right. Yeah, you know? it's always, you know, going backwards is usually, it's always, it's always the easiest step. But uh, that's not the, the, the way you're supposed to be, yet. in my opinion. It's not the way you're supposed to walk. Yeah. What is your favorite place or one of, a couple of favorite places to go in Arizona to, to visit? Oh, wow. Because you uh, have a beautiful state. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jerome, mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, Sedona, Flagstaff. Yeah. The Navajo Nation. It, I mean, if you have time, there's just so many places to visit the Navajo Nation and the, uh, you know, beautiful people. I have great uh, friends that I consider family uh, that are from there and live there. Yeah. Um, if you go down uh, to Patagonia in southern Arizona, um, and then you know come into Phoenix, the nightlife of Phoenix, the it's restaurants, a um, it's a great scene. It's a booming city. Uh, we have you know a great congressman, in my opinion. Uh, but you have you know <laughs> the other rumor great, is that you do. Uh, yeah, and, the, and Congressman Stan's awesome too, and uh, got a great mayor down there you too. Have a great mayor there's in a lot of there's a lot of uh, things happening there. Um, but it is a great city. I mean, look. In Phoenix, you could be golfing, you know, early in the day, and you could be skiing, uh, you know, at night up in Flagstaff. You know, there's just so many things that you could be doing uh, at right, uh, you know, different different trails. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, hiking just, there's amazing. I bet I can talk about that. You can you can never yeah, and that's just like in the city. Of, yeah, uh, in the but city. I've, I've also hiked in Sedona. It's yep. quite special. Yeah, and you go out to eastern part of uh, Arizona. There's even more. It's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Now we're gonna switch to the last part of this, which is playing a game called Kiss, Mary Trash. Many people may know it by other names. Uh, um, and it's a quick round, but you can add whatever you wish if you'd like. But I'm going to give you three things, and they're softballs. But just to get an idea, um, we're going to start and see how it goes. Okay. So Kiss, Mary Trash. Kiss, Mary Trash. So what would you kiss, what would you marry, and what would you trash? Got it. Okay. Um, and it's a kind of a rapid round sort of game. Sure, sure. So seasons of the year, summer, spring, winter. Oof. Okay. Remember, I'm from Arizona, right? Yeah. Okay, so definitely I would kiss winter, marry spring, <laughs> trash summer. Yeah, I think at 118 it's yeah. kind of okay. Yeah. Um, and maybe I already know this answer, but if you're going to relax, what would you do? It, three things, Netflix, reading, meditating. Oh, let's see. I would um, – so I would kiss uh, reading – 
Mary Netflix, and then uh, Trash and Meditating, to be There's honest. There's only so much. I, There's, I, I, I don't think I can stay, stay still that long, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Um, meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, man. I'm, in, I'm intermittent fasting right now, so I don't even get breakfast. Um, okay. Let's see. God, I love breakfast. You should do so much stuff. So I would probably marry breakfast. Okay. I would kiss dinner, and I would add a trash lunch. Okay. Movies, comedy, romantic, thriller. Ooh. I would uh, marry thrillers. Uh, I would – what is comedy? What's the other one? Romantic. Romantic. Like love story. Got it. I, I trash uh, – I'd trash romantic, and <laughs> I would uh, kiss, kiss uh, comedy. Kiss comedy. Good. Yeah. Um, pastas. Fusilli, penne, spaghetti. Oh, okay. I'm trying to remember which ones. What are the shapes of those guys? Okay, so penne is the, like the tube. The spaghetti, tube. we know. Yeah. And fusilli is kind of the round one. The round ones. Oh, I'm very traditional, so I would marry spaghetti. Okay. Uh, I would probably trash fusilli, and I would kiss penne. Okay, those are good ones. Yeah. Last one, sports. Just pick three random. Basketball, baseball, football. To play or watch? Oh, that's good. But to watch. To watch. Okay. Uh, to watch, I would marry football. Mm -hmm. I would kiss uh, basketball, and I would trash baseball. To play, I would okay. uh, marry baseball, mm -hmm. trash football, and uh, kiss basketball. I get it. I get the whole. Yeah. I get the whole thing. It makes good sense. Yeah. Just sort of in closing. I, I'm always thinking about this concept of what brings us joy, what brings you joy, what brings me joy, what brings people joy. And then, so my question is, what brings you joy? But then beyond that, what do you think that if you have that joy or you feel joyful that you can spread that joy to others? Because we, we live in a place where people send out their energy. You uh -huh. can send out negative, you can send out positive. Sure. And if you send out joyful energy, I think that there's potential for little ripples to become big waves. Mm -hmm. So I'd love your thought on what brings you joy and what you feel like your joy can actually help others or share with others. So, I mean, what brings me joy is is having experiences with my family. Um, you know, and so it can be just as simple as kind of like just sitting around together. But I love, you know, taking my son to experience something new and have him explore something. I love traveling with my wife, you know, to different vacation spots and exploring new parts of, of the world or the or the country. Um, you know, I, I have a big Latino family, and I love when we get together uh, for for Christmas holidays or just for for any other reason. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the the chaos of it, the but the closeness of it. Um, it you know, it's a very heartwarming. It, it's very grounding, which I think is important to helps me forget about work and helps me refocus on like what's really, really important. Um, and uh, it's something that's easy to plug in. Yeah. You know, I can, I, can always, I can always go home. I can always, uh, you know, find that time with my son, not with my daughter, with my wife. Uh, I wish I had more time to spend with my extended family. That's one thing that uh, I hope to be able to like, do more in the future. But um, it really is just a, it's a great, you know, it's, it's a, I'm very lucky, I think, to have that type of family that uh, really brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming here, and thank you for sharing, because I think through your stories and your experiences that those who listen um, can really learn not only about you, but also... I think take on what they can what they can also do for themselves. You know, we talk about how you share, and through your stories, I think people also will see a commonality, and perhaps in many cases see this opportunity to like actually do more and feel like empowered because mm-hmm. you really have lived a life of empowerment. Uh, your mother started you that way. Yep. She she empowered you to be the best you could be, and she gave you, I believe, unconditional love to do that, mm-hmm. um, and I believe that's what you give to obviously your children and your wife, but I think you give that to uh, people that you get to meet in your, um, in your journey. So thank you very much for being here.